This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Obviously, the Jets know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined by my co-host this week, Scott Mason. Scott, how you doing tonight? Well, Joe, I got to say, not doing as well as you did over the last couple of days, you being in San Diego in the beautiful city and one of my favorite cities in the entire country and nice weather and me being here with the wind chill and negative seven. But, but it is now free agency slash draft talk season. So things are looking up. Yeah, I got back just in time for this blizzard that's about to hit New York City. And again, <laughs> you spend time in San Diego and you wonder, why do we uh, live on the East Coast and subject ourselves to this weather? Definitely a uh, nice place, a lot of good breweries, a lot of good beach. I miss it already. But like you said, the Jets' 2017 season is over. They finished with a 5-11 and record, as some of us predicted they would. Uh, an uneventful Week 17 against New England, a 26-6 loss that we're not going to spend really any time talking about because I don't think Bryce Petty and Neil Sterling and some of the other people who played an integral part in that game are going to be major parts of what's happening next year, hopefully. So the Jets, after their 3-2 and start, lose 8 of their final 10, finish 5-11 and thanks to a Tampa Bay win over New Orleans, but a Chiefs win over the Broncos. The Jets will pick sixth again in the NFL draft. Same spot they picked Jamal Adams at. Same spot they picked Leonard Williams at. Same spot they picked Vernon Golston back a little further back in the day. Um, it's a familiar location for Jet fans. Uh, I think if you ask people before the season, most would have thought they'd probably be picking in the top five. But they're just outside of the top five. So not, not too far down the draft board. And with the news tonight that Josh Rosen and Sam Donald have both declared for the draft. There should be a quarterback there for the taking at six, or if the Jets want to potentially move up a few spots, the order in front of them is Cleveland at one, Giants at two, Colts at three, Cleveland again at four, Broncos at five, uh, and then the Jets at six. So obviously Denver is really going to be the key sort of swing team to watch here. Uh, We'll dive into that a little later in the show. Before we talk about big picture offseason, the year-end press conferences and where the Jets kind of stand. Scott, what are your final thoughts on this season, Uh, how the Jets ended the season in New England, and really bigger picture, how they ended the season in December, really after that 38-31 win over the Chiefs? Well, I think it's hard to really be upset about the last couple of games because McCallum has gone, 
and Bryce Petty came in, and we clearly found out that Bryce Petty was not an NFL quarterback. We saw a lot of indications of that last year in the handful of games that he started. He got his chance again this year, and, well, we saw what we saw, and now we know that Bryce Petty is not capable of being anything. I think we also probably know, within good reason, that Christian Hackenberg is not capable of being anything either because if he couldn't even outplay Bryce Petty, or they didn't believe he was capable of outplaying Bryce Petty to the point where even the last couple of minutes of that game, they couldn't toss him in there. It tells you that he's got to be every bit as bad as we've been hearing all this time. As far as the, the, the finish down the stretch, though, in the long run, I think it was for the best. They ended up at 5-11. and 11. I had said 4-12. and 12. I think Dalvin said 6-10. and 10. Joe, I think you said 5-11. and 11. A handful of the guys on our site had said 4-12, and 3-13. So it was all in that neighborhood. The narrative that we talked about was kind of false, was the idea that the Jets were going to go 1-15 or 2-14 and 14 and be the worst team in the league or maybe even compete with the Browns and maybe go 0-16. So... I think that they got our expectations up by winning a couple of games at home early in the season, more than we thought that they would. But then, as you like to say, and it's a popular term among people that study statistics, regression to the mean happened. And we saw that the Jets were really a more of a 4-12, and 5-11, and 6-10 and and kind of team. And so that's how they finished. And in a nutshell, that's really what it was. It was we saw – some young players step up. We saw some older guys shut down by injury at the end. Uh, some guys that we thought were going to play well that didn't. Muhammad Wilkerson we thought might bounce back, but he didn't, so he'll probably be out of here. And I think that ultimately the record was around what we all kind of expected. And besides that quick jolt uh, toward the beginning of the season, it ended the way that we sort of thought. And as far as the Patriot game itself, really what can you say? We thought the Jets would get smashed, and they did. It took a little longer for it to kick in. The Jets held them off for a little bit early on. But then once the Patriots got rolling, the Patriots got rolling, and they're just a much better team. So I think the season ended the way that we all expected, and the Jets' record was pretty much what we expected. And so now they're picking in a spot around where we expected, number six. So Onward and upward, they've got $100 million in cap space, the sixth pick in the draft, three picks in the top 50. So fingers crossed, it's a reason for some optimism. Yeah, I think, look, I think there were pros and cons this season, like any season, but I think what was encouraging is I think a guy like Robbie Anderson takes the next step. I think you did an effective trade in getting rid of Calvin Pryor for Demario Davis, who's a guy looks who looks like he should be brought back uh, to start inside linebacker for another year. Uh, Brandon Shell looked like he could be a starting right tackle for you going forward. Um, it, across the rest of the offensive line, it wasn't exactly the train wreck that I thought. Many thought it would be. Kelvin Beecham held his own pretty well. Uh, obviously, Wesley Johnson was a problem at the center position. We'll get to that a little bit later. But there were a few signs on both sides of the football that you have some young foundational pieces. Marcus May, best-looking Jets second-round rookie since David Harris, uh, was the team's best overall rookie this year. Jamal Adams, a good, I would not say a great rookie year, considering where he was taken, but definitely showed enough to feel very optimistic about what he can do in this defense going forward. 
The problems, of course, remain that this team has gaping holes at the most important positions of football, namely quarterback. Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg cannot play at this level. Uh, cornerback is a position that's going to need to be rebuilt. Morris Claiborne really struggled down the stretch. Buster Screen had a better-than-expected year, I would say, but still struggles so much with penalties. Justin Burris showed he can't be a full-time player. I also feel that Daryl Roberts probably showed he cannot be a full-time player as well. So the Jets are going to need one to two new bodies at that position. Uh, pass rusher uh, is still not there. The Jets' sack numbers are really a joke. Uh, Demario Davis led the team with five sacks, and you really don't want that to be the case from your inside linebacker. Uh, beyond, beyond him, it was David Bass, who was picked up after week one with three and a half sacks, and Muhammad Wilkerson, who picked up 3.5 sacks in the year, two of which were complete garbage time sacks. And Wilkerson, everyone knows the story with him at this point. He'll be on his way out of town, fortunately. But only two sacks for Leonard Williams. No juice coming from that outside linebacker position. Only three for Jordan Jenkins, who is better against the run. And is you know a complimentary piece. Coney Ealy flamed out a little bit after a fast start. Uh, and you just need to find ways to get after the quarterback. And cornerback, pass rusher, quarterback, and offensive line depth still need to be built. You need a center. Wesley Johnson, definitely not a starting caliber NFL center. You want more depth at tackle. He did have some injuries with Shell uh, towards the end of the year where you had to play guys like Brent Qualley and Ben Ejelana at tight end, something you want to avoid. So a 5-11 and team. You know, a 5-11 and team who beat Cleveland, who everyone obviously beat this year, uh, caught Miami and Buffalo in the right weeks and handled their business at home uh, and was able, really their one sort of weird outlier win, win, I guess you would say, was the Jacksonville game where they got Jacksonville coming back from London and won in overtime on a late field goal. That's really the only game you would look back at the schedule and kind of scratch your head and go, yeah, how'd, how'd they win that one? But they found a way. Uh, unsurprisingly, Todd Bowles and Mike McCadden are back in what I think is really a make-or-break year for them in year four. Don't get thrown off by the two-year extension. Rex was extended before 2014. We saw how that went. Idzik had multiple years left on his contract before 2014. We saw how that went. So for Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnon, eight picks in the NFL draft, six overall pick, two second-rounders, probably somewhere around $100 million in cap space after Muhammad Wilkerson, Matt Forte, and potentially Buster Screen leave. So a lot of resources to improve the roster, which we're going to talk about for the rest of this podcast. Before we do, want to remind you guys that this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. Make sure to follow them in the offseason for upcoming sporting events, including March Madness and the Big East Tournament. For discounts, go to primesport.com slash turn on the Jets. Jets. Give them a follow on Facebook and Twitter at Prime Sport. Our podcast is also brought to you by Razor Sport. That's R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. Make sure you check them out for the best advice from betting experts heading into the NFL playoffs, heading into the national championship game, uh, middle of NBA season. They cover all the sports, including college basketball. So make sure to check them out on Twitter as well at Razor Sport Club. Uh, we've been sharing some of their picks throughout the week. And then sign up for their member section at RazorSport.com. That's R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. Definitely check them out before putting in any of your wagers for Wild Card Weekend. All right, Scott. Let's start this off with an area I think we – I wouldn't say we disagree with because I, I think we're not quite as far apart as I think some people might assume that we would be. Give me the case of why you think the Jets should fix quarterback by signing Kirk Cousins this offseason. How much money would you give him? 
I give him whatever you have to, to be honest with you, Joe. I know you're not on board with it. I'll tell you what really swayed me, to be honest with you. Going into the season, I was kind of iffy on the Cousins idea. I was like, well, I mean, he's okay. He's a solid starter. If they get him, it's an improvement. I don't know that I would pay him a ton of money. But I'll tell you, I, I talked to a lot of people whose opinions I really respect and read a lot of people. You know, Mark Schofield from Inside the Pylon, Travis Wingfield from Locked on Dolphins. These are two guys that study quarterbacks extensively. Our own analytics guy, Edward Gorlick. We had a bunch of guys, Chris Wessling over at uh, in, uh, the NFL uh, network, NFL.com. A bunch of guys said, no, 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 Kirk Cousins isn't just pretty decent. He's really, really good. He's a top 10 to 12 quarterback. He's a guy that you can really build around. He's a top-level quarterback. Maybe not Tom Brady, but right underneath. So I said, you know what? I'm open-minded. I'll take a look. Maybe I'm wrong. And so I, uh, this year, you know, I lived in the DMV area, so I watched a lot of Redskins. I went back and I, I studied the analytics. I watched a lot more of his tape. I went through and I watched all of the games this year, and I looked at them very closely. And you know something? Kirk Cousins, they're right. He's more than just a pretty decent quarterback. He is really, really good. If you look at the three seasons that he put together as a starter, people will make all kinds of weird criticisms of him they'll say oh what's his regular season record or what's his playoff record or he's a choke this and that he's been a starter for three seasons three if you look at the first three seasons that he's put together as a starter they're as good as almost anybody in the history of of the modern history I should say of the NFL in their first three seasons he's 29 years old he's more than likely going to be available on the open market and that's something you never see. People have compared Drew Brees, but what people forget is that not only was Brees bad to the point where they drafted Philip Rivers a couple of years before he left, but even after Brees figured it out, the reason that the Chargers let him walk Scott Free is because he ruined his shoulder at the end of the season to the point where he failed a physical with the Dolphins, and that's why he didn't end up there. So you can't really make the comparison with Brees. People have made the comparison with Jay Cutler, but Jay Cutler ended up costing two first-rounders and a third-rounder. So if you look at what Cousins brings to the table and the fact that he's a known commodity at 29 years old, the prime of his career, you don't have to give up any draft compensation for him, which you would probably have to do to move up to the top to get Rosen or Darnold if that's who you want. And on top of that, you know that he's a proven commodity as a top 10 to 12 quarterback in the league, and he's gotten better each year and probably will continue to get better, or at least that's what it appears. To me, he's a unicorn. You're never going to see a guy this good in his prime, healthy, on the open market again, assuming he makes it there and the Redskins don't franchise him at $35 million, which I don't think they're going to. So I just think that if you're the Jets and you have the opportunity to get a guy, I mean, look, teams won Super Bowls with Eli Manning and Joe Flacco, who I know a lot of Giants fans will flame me for this, but I think Kirk Cousins is a a better quarterback than both of those guys. And, you know, if you can get a guy like that and build your team around him, now look at all the money that you have. You have, like you said, probably close to $100 million. Even if you spend 30 of it on Cousins, now you can go out and you can build around him in free agency, and you have all these draft picks. You've got three picks in the top 50. 
look, you could shoot for the moon with Josh Rosen. If you're completely convinced that you think he's going to be the next, you know, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or somebody on that level, Russell Wilson, okay, fine, shoot for the moon. But it's so hard to get a quarterback that's going to be better than Kirk Cousins at 29 years old. But to me, it's just, I can't rationalize in my head, not at least trying to sign the guy. So if it takes the biggest contract in the history of the NFL, I think you do it because getting a guy at quarterback with those intangibles and and all that stuff that I mentioned is so hard to get at the position that's probably the toughest to solve in all of professional sports. I just don't see how you don't at least make a run at him. And we'll see what happens, but that's really, I mean, I could go even more in depth and uh, Edward Gorlick is somebody that's going to talk, and we'll get into this later when I talk about what we're going to be doing on Sundays, but he really delved into this as well. But I just think that the Jets would be crazy not to at least try, given all the things that I just listed. Yeah, look, I think I think you and I think Edward and I think the people who are more pro-cousins than me ha- have a fair case to make, and I think you can make a fair argument that he is. it's a unique situation where you have the opportunity to sign a guy who's been as productive as he's been. My fear with Cousins is that does he cap out as a guy who's, let's say, 10% less, is, 10% less than like a Matthew Stafford, where the real ceiling for your team if you build everything around him, because you invest that much money in him, it's going to constrain how you build the rest of your roster for the next few years. So you really, you're counting on him to elevate a roster that will have some problems with it because you could only invest so much in the rest of the roster because so much is invested in him. Will you have a team that is good enough to be anything but nine and seven, 10 and six and knocked out in the first round? Kind of like what we've seen from Stafford's Lions teams who got in the playoffs last year, lost to Seattle this year. They just missed the playoffs. They're good every year. They have a, you know, a competent offense. Uh, They're competitive. Um, But is Matthew Stafford ever going to take a team to a Super Bowl where he's taking up that much of the cap space? I don't know. Now, Cousins may, in a new system, in a new city, with better weapons around him, maybe he ends up being better than Stafford and being good enough to carry your team further. Uh, And that's what you're betting on. You're going to say that, you know, right now Cousins is probably somewhere between the 9th and 11th, 9th and 12th best quarterback in the league. The Jets have not had that consistently uh, for a very, very, very long time, obviously. Obviously, there was a stretch where Favre was that for them in 2008, but that was one year. Same thing with Pennington. He had the one year where you would say he was that Testaverde one year. You know, you'd be betting that Cousins could be that for you for a three, four, five-year stretch. Then you'd use that six overall pick to either improve your pass rush, maybe you get a chub uh, to help you on the defensive side, um, or you look at, you know, other options to build up the offense. But you're basically saying that we're not going to take the crapshoot of the NFL draft. We don't know if we could develop a guy, which would be a fair concern because the Jets haven't been able to do that. And we're going to take a more sure thing, uh, and we're going to allow ourselves to immediately be competitive next year. If the Jets get Cousins and he's healthy, they should be in the mix to at least be a 500 team next year, particularly if they use the rest of their resources right. So look, in my mind, it's better to identify the guy you think could be your franchise guy for the next 10 to 12 years, go get a 20, 21-year-old Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, uh, depending on how the board shakes out, and then have all that money to build around them. But 
there's a case to be made that it would be more effective and more smart for this team to take the take advantage of Cousins hitting the market and investing what they can. Now, what you have to keep in mind is that the Jets aren't going to be the only team who want, wants Kirk Cousins. Denver is going to be in the mix for him or potentially be in the mix of drafting a quarterback one spot ahead of the Jets at five. So a lot of what happens with Denver is going to impact the Jets' offseason. Washington still apparently has interest in bringing him back. Jacksonville could be in the mix. Arizona could be in the mix. Uh, Again, other teams could come up. So the Jets, I do think that the Jets are going to offer him the highest contract they possibly can when he hits free agency. I think this regime likes Cousins. I think they already tried to acquire him once. And I think... They know their jobs are on the line next year, so they're going to make that push. The question is, can they close the deal, and will Cousins choose this team over some of the other teams in free agency? Now, who else concerns you the most, Scott, uh, as outbidding the Jets for Cousins or swaying him to join their team instead of the Jets? And what is the Jets' plan B, then, if your plan A is Cousins? It's interesting you you mentioned that because – Kyle Smith at AFC East Bros broke it down the other day, and I thought he did a really good job of it. He was talking about the teams that really have cap space and a need at quarterback. And the only two teams that have both right now are the Browns and the Jets. Now, I would imagine anything's possible, but I would imagine the Jets would have a better chance than the Browns. That said, yeah, of course, you would imagine that any team that has a quarterback vacancy would potentially go after Kirk Cousins. I think the Jaguars are a very uh, a very interesting situation for somebody like him because I think if you put Kirk Cousins on the Jaguars, they instantly, with the running game they have, the offensive line, the defense, and even some of the playmakers, especially if they're able to bring back Allen Robinson, now you've got potentially a real contender there. The question is they have a lot of guys that they need to sign internally and they don't have a ton of cap space. Do they have the cap space it would take to bring in a guy like that? And are they ready to completely give up on Bortles? I don't really think that much of Bortles, but there have been stretches this year where he's played well. And depending on how far they go in the playoffs, who knows? And that's kind of the the thing with Case Keenum as well. If he goes really far into the playoffs, maybe if they make a Super Bowl run, maybe Teddy Bridgewater ends up shaking loose instead of Case Keenum. So that's something to keep an eye on. The Broncos is another one. They have a really strong defense. They're a bit of a mess on the offensive side of the ball, but the problem there is they're really going to have to find a way to clear some cap space. I believe they only have something like $50 million in cap space. And like you said, Joe, Cousins is probably going to command a contract that will end up at a $30 million a year average or something like that. So they're certainly ones to watch. I, I don't know about Arizona. That could be an interesting one to look at, but I don't think they have the cap space either. So, here's what it really comes down to with the Jets. I think the pitch they have to make is they have to say, listen, we've got, and I I talked to Mark Schofield about this actually, and and he made an interesting point too. John Morton, assuming he stays because we've read the reports that if John Gruden takes the Raiders job, that he might want John Morton, and then he would take John Morton with him to the Raiders and the Jets would let him go. But what Mark Schofield was saying was he has shown Morton that he knows how to scheme and put in the right, um, I guess you'd say, plays and, and sets of, um, of different, um, uh, different things that would accentuate the positives 
of a variety of different quarterbacks, and he identified the top guys in the draft and Cousins as guys that would work very well within Morton's system. So if you think about it like this, you'll have John Morton sitting there going, hey, here's what I can do with you, Kirk. And the interesting thing is, Joe, I don't know if you read Craig Bishop's tremendous profile on Kirk Cousins where it really broke down. And this is another thing I'm encouraged by with Cousins is that he never stops trying to learn. He never stops trying to get better. He's a film junkie. He's always meeting with teammates. His teammates love him. His coaches love him. The ownership is where he has the problem and and management. But I think that you you sit him down and and you say, hey, here's a guy that can really accentuate your positives. And Mike McCagnin sits down and says, after we sign you to this huge deal, we will still have $70 million in cap space to go out and put extra pieces around you. And we have three kicks in the top 50. We'll get an edge rusher. We'll, we'll go out and we'll sign you Allen Robinson or whoever. We're going to get Quincy Nunwa back. We're going to bolster the offensive line. If they go to him and they have a plan and say, here's how we can build around you. And listen, by the way, Kirk, if you win here in New York, you bring a Super Bowl back here, you will be a god along the lines of somebody like Mark Messier or Derek Jeter and guys who brought championships to this city in the biggest city in the world, the biggest media market in the entire world, you'll have, uh, you'll have endorsements out the wazoo, an opportunity to make so much extra money being in New York. So I think that's kind of the pitch that, that you make. And, and here's what I think as far as a fallback plan, and I've said this all along, I think you go after Cousins. If you don't get them, then you sit down and you, do, you really do your homework on these quarterbacks. And you say to yourself, okay, we didn't get Kirk Cousins, but – which of these guys is the one that we think is our guy? Is it Rosen? Is it Darnold? Is it Mayfield? Is it Jackson? Whoever it is. And then you do what you got to do to get that done. So that, that's what I would do. I would go after Cousins first, and if that fails, then I would go into the draft and do everything I can to secure my guy. But I think there's going to be a significant number of teams, like you said, a lot of competition. But one thing that the Jets definitely have working in their favor, uh, in addition to the fact that they have – somebody who can properly scheme for him, the fact that it's a big market where he may want to shine on the biggest stage, opportunities for more endorsements and stuff. It's the fact that they can say, Kirk, not only can we pay you every penny that you want, but we can go and pay a bunch of other guys. And by the way, we have three picks in the top 50, very valuable picks that we can go out and get instant playmakers right away to go along with guys like Leonard Williams and Robbie Anderson and the two safeties, May and Adams, and on down the line. So that's what my pitch would be, and that's what my fallback plan would be if they're not able to land Kirk Cousins. I think it's a, I think it's a compelling case all around, and really I think this how the Jets are going to fix quarterback, and obviously free agency comes before the draft, so I think Cousins is going to be a main topic of conversation really throughout February around this team. Again, if not Cousins – I'm sure we're going to hear rumors about would the Jets trade for Alex Smith? Please, God, no. Will they be Uh, interested in Tyrod Taylor at the right price if they can't sign Cousins? I could see it. Teddy Bridgewater, I get tons and tons of questions about with Bridgewater. You need to do more than just sign him, I think, because it's been so long since he's been healthy and effective. Um, And then whoever else ends up sort of floating out there. 
I just think the Jets need to make sure they're not opening 2018 starting 39-year-old Josh McCown under center. It's time to it's time to make a move. It's time to play aggressive. It's time to try to compete. It's the third longest playoff drought in the NFL. It's the longest playoff drought of any of the nine New York sports teams. You can't keep treading water with a guy who's likely to regress to the mean at 39 years old or potentially get hurt. So make your move. I think they need three new quarterbacks. Blow up the room, start from scratch, draft one in the first round, draft one in the fourth round, sign one in free agency, get them all in there. You can't add enough resources at this position until it's fixed properly. And we'll have all offseason around about that. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, appreciate all the support throughout the year. Uh, I wrote this briefly in our year, one of our year-end articles. Obviously not a great year for the team, but uh, it was a really good year for the site. Uh, and that's thanks to everyone who follows all of our content, interacts with us. We've gotten you know, so many guys uh, on our staff who have done such a great job of contributing consistent content, obviously starting with you, Scott. Dalbin, Joe Malfa, David Aiken, Dan Eason, I'm going to forget somebody because we have so many people now. Jared, uh, Greg Armstrong, Jake, Ben Quisto. Uh, who am I forgetting? Who am I forgetting? Kyle Fahey, of course. Uh, ben, who are Mike Nash. Always, Mike Nash we had his weekly three up, three down column. I think we had about 10 or 11 regular contributors this year, which was which was just awesome to um, see on a week-to-week basis and see those guys and everybody turn out good content and see the people reacting to it. Uh, obviously, we had this podcast. We have the Jet Take podcast. We'll have draft season. Scott launched Play Like a Jet, which he'll preview here before we wrap at the end of the show. We launched the Gear Store, which... You know, I thought we were thought we were done with merchandise after a few years ago, and the loyalist has been great to work with, and um, it, it's been a fun thing to you know get back involved. And in. I've been pleasantly surprised that honestly, how many people have been interested and in, you know have had some fun with some of our shirts. Some serious, some not that serious, obviously. Uh, so it's been uh, it's been a good year, and again, it's we're just very grateful that anyone gives a crap about what we're saying about this team and about the NFL. Uh, make sure to follow Scott on Twitter at playlikeajet1. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at jcaparoso. Scott, give us a preview to wrap up the podcast of what we're going to hear on this Friday's Play Like a Jet, which, of course, you need to subscribe to on iTunes and check out new episodes of turnthejets.com. We'll wrap it with Scott's preview here. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Take it over, Scott. Thanks, Joe. This Friday, we're going to finish up with Marcus Coleman. Part 7 on the Monday Night Miracle, we're going to get into the overtime period. And if you haven't seen the game before, or if you have and it's just been a while, remember, it's available on YouTube. The NFL uploaded it, so you don't even have to worry about it being an illegal stream or getting taken down. The NFL themselves put it up. So go ahead, check it out. You can put it on mute, and you can listen to Marcus and I. We kind of do a director's cut and alternate audio, if you will. And I will tell you this. If you don't remember what happened in the overtime or you've never seen the game, Marcus is one of the most important players in that overtime period. In fact, the case could be made he's actually the most important player in that overtime period. So make sure you listen. We're going to wrap up the series. And then after part seven, we're going to have some really fun series coming up. I don't want to talk about it yet because we're still working out all the details, but we've got a lot of really cool different types of things going on. You know, when we started the show, the first few series we did were seasons. Then we delved into a little bit of something different with the Monday Night Miracle. We also did that training camp series with guys that were hopefuls. 
back in several different seasons and didn't make the team in telling their stories. We're going to do a lot of cool things in 2018. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. So make sure you listen to us finish up part seven. It'll be available on Friday at turnonthejets.com and iTunes. And if you missed any of the first part, uh, six parts of the series, that's where you can get them. And also anywhere where podcasts can be downloaded. And Joe, something else fun that we're working on now is that, you know, we've got two months now before anything can really happen. We just had a spirited discussion about the off season and specifically the quarterback position. Well, we've got two months to talk about all that stuff. There's a lot of free agents that are going to be available. A lot of moves that the jets can make as far as cutting guys, keeping guys, what have you. So over the next two months, as the post game podcast wrapped up this past weekend, again, Mark Schofield, thanks to him for coming on and crushing it as a special guest with Kyle and I, we're going to do a little something different. We're going to do, audio roundtables on free agency. We're not going to get into the draft just yet because it doesn't make sense to really break down the draft until we know what the Jets are going to be looking for, which holes that they fill in free agency. And I've got a ton of really cool guests that we lined up. It's all set to go. I don't want to make any announcements yet about anybody specific, but trust me, if you're a fan of the Jets, we have a wide variety of different voices from different outlets, some of the bigger names as far as guys that cover the team and even guys that may have played for the team at one point are going to chime in. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be going down every Sunday, just like we had the post-game podcast. This will drop after the playoff games finish on Sunday, and it'll be a weekly roundtable with different people chiming in on their thoughts on what the Jets should do in the offseason, the kind of, I guess, where do we go from here edition, free agency style. So that'll kick off on Sunday after the playoff games. And, Joe, before we finish up, I just wanted to say something, if, it, if it's okay. Um, you know, when I first came to you and had the idea to start the Play Like a Jet podcast, you didn't have any hesitation. You just said, Scott, that sounds like a great idea. Go for it. Any help you need from me, let me know. I'll help you you know, I'll help you put it out there. I'll help get the word out. We'll, we'll spread the word. If you need me to help you get guests, whatever you need me to do, you let me know. And quite frankly, you let me do whatever I want with it. I haven't had you say anything but positive things to me. And I just want to let you know, for me and Big John Spiropolis, we're really grateful for the platform that you provided us and for the fact that you've continued to help this show grow you know, I didn't know how much interest there was going to be in something like that. I knew that me as a diehard longtime Jets fan, that it was a show that I would want to listen to, but I wasn't sure how many other people would. And it's blown my mind, the amount of support and positive feedback that we've gotten. And I want to thank everybody who helped make that possible. And Joe, I really want to help, uh, thank you for, for helping to, to get it out there and let us get it started. And same thing really with the post-game podcast. I wasn't sure, you know, what the interest level would be when I said to you, hey, Joe, what do you think about the idea of an instant reaction podcast with your instant reaction written pieces? You said, yeah, go with it. And so we did. And I think we really built up some steam and people really enjoyed it. And now we're going to do the roundtable. So, again, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, even though I, we didn't do the uh, standard show before Christmas or before the new year, a belated Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you, sir. And really, 
happy to be working with you and the TOJ brand. I'm really looking forward to all that 2018 brings. And I really think that we're just going to keep marching forward and continuing to show people why Turn on the Jets is not only the best place for written Jets content, but it's also going to continue to be the place for the very best in audio content, Jets-related, Jets Digital, TOJ Digital is the place to be. So, again, everybody who's supported these ventures, thank you so much. And, Joe, again, really, I can't thank you enough for all that you've done to support these shows and also to help bring them to the masses. All right, Scott. It's a a hell of a way to uh, end the year. Nice uh, season wrap speech. Again, it's been awesome to work with you. It's been awesome to watch the show develop and – on to bigger and better things in 2018. We look forward to continuing to grow and getting into off-season mode, uh, having a little more sort of freedom and flexibility with what we talk about instead of the week-to-week games. Should be a fun off-season, and uh, we will be back next week. Thank you for listening, everybody.